2: Today's episode has been made possible through the generous support of Bright Peak Financial, an award-winning not-for-profit supporting Christians on their journey to financial strength. Go to brightpeakfinancial.com to make your dream happen.
1: Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program.
0: Welcome everyone to the Main Street Vegan Show. We are going to be talking today about rescuing animals. Now I know that you save animals already in the lifestyle choices that you make. But sometimes it's really wonderful to actually be able to make a difference for an individual being. And all of our guests today are very much invested in this. After the first break, we will be bringing on Christine Laughead, who got a lot of press a few months ago for doing something we have all wanted to do, save one of those lobsters from the supermarket. And she's going to tell you all about that. But in our first segment, we are going to be speaking with a couple who have done... A couple of amazing things. One is Start an Animal Sanctuary. And when I say start, they are at the very beginning stages. They have beautiful property in France that they're going to be telling us about for the Barefoot Vegan Sanctuary. And yes, you heard Barefoot Vegan. You know the magazine, a bi-monthly digital zine and website that empowers people to live their happiest and healthiest lives through connecting with nature. Barefoot Vegan is unique in that it not only provides information on health, diet, and animal protection, but it also promotes spiritual principles and alternative health practices, social justice, and societal change. It is the official publication of the Barefoot Vegan Farm and Animal Sanctuary, and all magazine profits go to support that charity. So we're going to be talking right now with the wonderful founders of all this, Emma and Christian Letessier. Welcome to the show.
4: Hi. Thank you for having us.
0: Thank you. you. Well, thank you for having a sanctuary and and for having a fabulous magazine and for all the great work that you do in the world. So take us back to the beginnings. You're in France, but hmm, I'm not sensing a French accent.
4: Well, you won't sense one from me, that's for sure, but Christian is French and I'm originally from New Zealand. Ah. And we um, both met while well, we were working in London. And so we, yeah, we had, you know, like the, the normal kind of life. Um, I would love to say a 9 to 5 job, but working in London, it was more like 7 until 9 p.m. <laughs> and. Um, yeah, and it all kind of turned on its head when we got um, a phone call from Christian's mum to say that she'd been diagnosed with cancer, and uh, it forced us to kind of stop and assess a lot of things that we were doing in our life, and, and yeah, one thing led to another, and we, we came across veganism initially from the health perspective. But then, you know, because I've always been interested in, in animals and uh, social justice issues, tu- you know, seeing how veganism touches upon all of those aspects of, of life, it just made so much sense. And, uh, and, yeah, we ended up coming over to France to support Christian's mum, who unfortunately passed away in October. So sorry. Um. But by that stage, we'd kind of worked out what we wanted to do with the next stage in our life. And by that stage, we'd already started Barefoot Vegan magazine. And uh, we knew that we weren't going to go back to London. Uh, our place was here in France. And uh, we wanted to set up something that kind of allowed us to live what we try to promote in the magazine,
0: if you like. I love that, that that you talk about it, and then you can also show it. So tell us about the topics that you cover in the magazine.
4: So we cover um, all of the the general things that a vegan magazine would cover, like topical news. Um, We try to include a lot of um, healthy and fresh and sustainable and local um, vegan recipes to help people who are interested in improving their health, but more importantly for us, we also we look at veganism as the first step, um, really, and and how we can go beyond that to to live a little lighter, to um, be kinder to animals and to the environment, and also to the other humans that we share this planet with, and so. Um, we look at a lot of spiritual uh, spirituality, different aspects of spirituality, also natural health and well-being. We look at different aspects of animals, positive stories, um, things to raise awareness. And we also look at things like permaculture and self-sustainability and alternative methods of living um, and how we can kind of adapt those um, aspects or alternative principles into our everyday lives because we, we know that we're in a really privileged position to be able to go and um, purchase a piece of land, but it's really important for us to show that firstly one person can make a difference and that you can be a change maker in your own community with very little resource.
0: I love that you're focusing on some of these alternative aspects. I think we had more of that back in the olden days when I first got into (laughs) some of this in the 70s and and 80s. And now as we're more in the mainstream, it's good to not lose that. But you you used a word that I have heard many, many times and have never understood. So please explain to us what permaculture is and vegan permaculture in particular.
4: Sure. So... Permaculture, it's um, it's not a new um, way of working. It's an alternative, I would say, to um, to conventional agriculture. So it's looking at working with nature as opposed to against it, and um, it's a lot about observation. So observing um, what the kind of climate you have, what kind of Animals you have there. What is the the slope? What's your rainfall? Um, looking at what what your natural vegetation is, the the sun, um, all of those sorts of things, and and working with nature so that you pr- you create the best kind of ecosystem for humans and animals and for nature to thrive together. I think that's kind of in a nutshell what it is, and. You can have standard permaculture, um, and people, uh, they don't have to be vegan for that. So they, they will incorporate animals into their permaculture design on their piece of land, um, and they may still use the animals for meat or other animal products, um, whereas vegan permaculture obviously doesn't use the animals um, at all. And that's what we want to do on our farm is to have a permaculture design, integrate the animals into that design, but it's going to be a sanctuary. So we're not expecting them to provide us with, you know, any products or they're just there to have a safe space where they can be happy and um, live as as independently from us as possible. Um, while demonstrating their own natural behaviors. Mm,
0: That's lovely. So Emma and Christian, it's very interesting that you're on today because just this morning I was on the private Facebook page for Main Street Vegan Academy graduates, and a new graduate from Puerto Rico had said that a friend of hers wants to start an animal sanctuary And did people have advice on that? And I thought, well, I know a couple of people who have some advice on that. So, can you give this person and the rest of us advice? Gosh, it sounds like a good idea to start an animal sanctuary. What do we need?
4: Yeah, this is, we just chatted about this quite quickly before we came on air. And uh, you're 100% right, Victoria. You need to be well financed. And this is something that we're currently, um making sure that this is going to be a sustainable um, long-term project. it would be terrible for us because now we've got the piece of land to go in and um, just start rescuing as many animals as possible and then find ourselves a little bit down the line and realize oh we can't afford the animals and you know we'll put um, their lives in danger. I see stories all the time of, Um, animal sanctuaries with owners that are very well-meaning who then have the risk of having to euthanise the animals that they've been looking after because they can't afford it. So you need to really run it like a business, I feel. You need to make sure that you've got um, money coming in. Um, You need to know what your costs are going to be. But there's a number of ways that you can um, look to fund. There's obviously... Crowdfunding, which is quite popular these days, and I think there are a lot of um, vegans out there that may not have the opportunity themselves to rescue animals, but they want to contribute to that. Um, So that's a good idea. There's also a lot of grants available, and I know in the US, um, I'm not sure in South America, but in the US and um, certainly in the UK, there are a number of grants available to people that want to. once set up animal sanctuaries, um, and there are a lot of like amazing, um, other initiatives, you know, y- you can be really creative. I know there's a animal sanctuary in France that I featured in Barefoot Vegan magazine, Jacob's Ridge, uh, they're in Spain, sorry, um, Jacob's Ridge, who have, um, set up a vegan camp site so that volunteers can pay to come and stay for a week. And that they get the experience of working on the farm, giving love and ex- and uh, getting love back from the animals. Um, but they also their their um, the cost of that fund, funds the ongoing running of the sanctuary. So yeah, that's really important. And I'd also say that it's really important to know how to market yourself and do fundraising campaigns.
0: It's a lot. It's a lot more than just wanting to save animals. So I, I appreciate all that you've shared here. So in terms of the um, Barefoot Vegan Farm and Sanctuary, first off, where in France are you?
5: We are in the southwest of France. I don't know if you know a bit of uh, France geography. But we are in the south of, of Po, which is a kind of a big city, uh, near Oloron saint marie so a lot of French names. So we are not very far from the Spanish border. Uh, it's, uh, obviously mountainous, uh, landscape with a lot of rain and, uh, which would be good for permaculture and the animal, you
0: know. Oh, absolutely. And, and for those of us who hope one day to visit. So give yes. us the timeline. Now you, you don't have any animals yet. You're, you're doing no. this in a, a, a very Measured fashion, which I think is very wise. So, tell us how it's going to happen.
4: Well, the, at the moment we have we're living in a three hundred year old stone farmhouse, which is literally just four walls. We've got no water, no bathroom, kitchen, or anything like that. So,
5: and a bad roof.
4: Uh, yeah, and a bad roof. Um, so we we're trying to really practice what we preach here. I mean, my my heart breaks every time I see. Uh, an animal in in need. We haven't had anyone reach out to us yet, um, wanting us to take an animal um, from France. Um, but we would certainly try and accommodate that if we could, if there was someone in desperate need. But we need to practice what we preach in terms of our own self care and um, self love. And I I believe that we need a good place to stay and a good place for us to welcome other volunteers to come and stay to help us. Um, So our priority this year is just to get the bottom of our house waterproof um, and weatherproof and ready for the winter. Um, And we're also starting to put together the permaculture design and put in some of the um, infrastructure. So that's the plan for this year. But very much we see beginning of next year, um, early Next year, we will be in a position to welcome people and to help us with starting to welcome animals.
0: That is so exciting! So, what can we do to help?
4: Um, Well, I think just um, firstly, send us all your best positive (laughs) thoughts and wishes and love, because you know sometimes we're just it's the two of us on our own on the farm, and sometimes we. Can get a little overwhelmed and think, "Oh my gosh, have we just bitten off more than we can chew?" Um, but we've got we've got faith that we're right where we're meant to be. Um, so that's one thing that would always be welcomed from people. Um, and the other thing is um, sign up to Barefoot Vegan Magazine. Um, that is that's going to be our main source of income, and I think it's around twenty six US dollars. A year, and you mm-hmm. get um, a beautiful publication um, with some amazing people, such as yourself, that grace the front cover of the magazine. Um, that was
0: that was thrilling. Thank you again. <laughs>
4: um, so yeah, that, that's the main thing. And then I think when we're in a position um, to start welcoming people, for those who are who are in a position to um, travel to France. Um, you will always be more than happy to welcome people that want to come, not only just for the animals and the animal sanctuary. We want to, um, really, um, provide a space for people to empower themselves, learn new skills such as growing food, um, maybe making clothes, you know, learning a, new, learning a new skill, um, and about how they can take that back and maybe start a community gardening project or something.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. So you're, you're just <laughs> spreading good cheer all over the world. Now, I know we just have a couple of minutes, but you used a phrase here, something else that I'm not familiar with. So if you could enlighten uh, the listeners and me, you said that one of your interests is empowering communities through hybrid resource-based economies. What's that?
4: Okay, so, <laughs> um,
0: so, short version,
4: <laughs> yeah. Hybrid a uh, resource-based economy is where you you don't take money completely out of the equation, but you look at the resources that you have to share. So maybe someone in your community is a plumber, someone is a, a translator. Some, you know, we all have different unique skills and talents, and it's about how you can exchange those skills. Or share things with people that need it. And so you become, you start to build your community by relying on each other. And because we can't, we live in a world where we have to pay taxes and we have to pay to live basically, you try as much as possible within your community to share. So there's no money exchange within your community, but from outside of the community, um, people will pay for your skills and then you can share that with um, the rest of your community. Fascinating. That's it in a nutshell.
0: One last question. Perhaps this one needs to be for uh, Christian. Yeah. How about being vegan in France with all the cream and butter? <laughs> How's that accepted as you uh, see it?
5: Yeah, that, that's a good question because, uh, of course, we became vegan while we are living in London. But we move now in the southwest of France, which is very famous for the foie gras and uh, the cassoulet, you know, so yes. with a, a lot of uh, cruelty to animals and a lot of things that are looked at delicacy, you know, so uh, it, it's very hard because uh, even uh, from my family point of view, you know, they think I'm a I'm a weirdo now, you know, because I don't eat that. I don't enjoy the French culture, you know. Uh, so it, it can be very tricky, you know. We, next to us, we have a lot of farmers, and they all got cow, you know. They've got you know, foie gras, or geese, or or ducks, you know. So it's it's not very easy, but you have to uh, speak out of love and not out of fear, and maybe show them sh- that actually yes i'm vegan but i'm still not doing a lot of sports Uh i have lost all my muscle because i'm uh, protein deficiency you know uh, and you you you, you uh, act out of as i say, but uh, you become an example you know that actually you don't need to kill all those animals to be happy and to be a good person you know uh in france like in spain or in italy greece uh it's it's that there is the problem of being a macho and eating meat is to be a big and strong man, you know. I, I can show that I can be strong, but I eat plants and I have no problem at all. I always invite my friend to go run, well, those people to go running, cycling with me. And they will see, they will beat me, you know. So just acting out of love and be an example and, and not not attacking that. you know. Really act out of love. That's very, very important.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. So the website, everybody, is barefootvegan.com. You can subscribe to the gorgeous magazine there and read more about what is going on over there in southwest France. On Facebook, they are barefoot vegan Magazine. On Twitter, barefoot underscore vegan. And we will put all that information on the mainstreetvegan.net show notes. So if you go there and just click on podcast, you'll see show notes and you can find exactly how to connect with Emma and Christian, the magazine and the sanctuary to be. And who knows, maybe one of these days we'll just show up on your doorstep of that 300 year old farmhouse. Thank That'd you. So- be great. Oh, I'd love it. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for all the good that you're doing and that you're going to be doing all the best. Thank
5: you, Victoria. Thank you, Victoria. Have a good day.
0: You too. And everybody else, stay with us. We're going to learn about how somebody saved a lobster.
3: You like to share the programs that inspire you
1: most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives.
0: So there I was, staring at a closet overflowing with clothes, practically bursting at the seams in their polyester prison. I had 10 minutes left to get dressed and the stress was kicking in. Are turtlenecks still a thing? What about rhinestones? Where did I get this? Oh, my leggings from 1987.
2: Ah, the scarves are attacking me. Sound familiar? Declutter your life and your closet with the Simple Living Challenge. It's a free 14-day challenge with powerful daily assignments to help you find more balance, freedom, and joy in life. Just go to simplelivingchallenge.com to sign up. Ooh, a cowboy hat.
0: I ask that you turn your attention at some point this week, if you'd be so kind, to the Main Street Vegan blog. I wrote that one, and it's about speaking up, but first going within. I have always said that if I were to ever get a tattoo, it would be a quotation from Bill W., who founded Alcoholics Anonymous, and he said, Nothing pays as handsomely as restraint of tongue and pen. And these days, I think I would add to that and restraint of pressing send on that keypad until you're absolutely sure <laughs> that that is an email that you want to send or a post that you want to post. So um, my my blog post this week is just about, yes, it is so important to speak up and speak out for all these things that we believe in. But it's also kind of good to... Hey, everybody. We had a little bit of a blip there. Have you noticed we are being blipped quite a lot? It's probably some kind of awful anti-vegan conspiracy. But we're going to deal with it. So I don't know where we stopped. I was talking about the blog post at MainStreetVegan.net slash blog on speaking up. But first going with and uh, consulting your great wisdom inside. So do take a look at that. And now I would like to introduce someone... That impressed me no end because she got a lot of notice for doing something quietly noble, and that is Christine Laughead. You read about her a few months ago because she saved a lobster from a supermarket. Who has not wanted to do that? Christine lives in a small town in Canada, five thousand people there, and it's called Red Lake. There's a lot of mining. Fishing and hunting, but Christine went into a grocery store, drove six hours to take her rescuee to a UPS store where he was sent to Halifax on the coast and released by a 74-year-old fellow vegan. Christine has been vegetarian since she was 10 and went vegan within the last year and is just making waves all over Canada and beyond. Welcome, Christine.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
0: It's absolutely wonderful to have you. So, tell me what happened. You walked into the grocery
2: store, and then what? I walked in, and we know I already. I always see the lobster tank there, and I stop and I look at them, and I try to figure out some sort of a solution. And what could I do? And I'm I'm nowhere near an ocean. I mean, you know, Canada is huge, and there's only a small part of it's near an ocean. Um, And I'm definitely not near any kind of ocean. So I just stand there and look at them and try to think of how I can help. But this one time, I guess they were down to one, and I looked at him and I stood there and I felt sick. And I I I'm in the meat section too, like because at the end of every aisle it ends up in the meat section. So there's all these. these dead animals around and there's this one little live guy and I just really wanted to help him and so I immediately started texting my I went into my vegan groups and was like you guys have to help me I'm I'm looking at him and I can't walk away I have to do something and they're like don't do it you'll be paying into the industry don't do it they'll just buy more and I couldn't help it I just I wanted to buy them so I, I asked somebody to to if I could buy them, and they said that the people who are responsible for the meat department aren't there right now, so I'll have to wait till tomorrow. So that felt awful, and I went home, determined to come back tomorrow, and uh, came back as soon as I could the next day. And thankfully, he was still there, and paid for him, and left the store. And it was I was I was really nervous that they might know what I was doing or not want me to have him if they knew what I was doing. So as soon as I got out of the store, I felt very comfortable. Like, okay, finally, he's at least safe. He's definitely not food now, which actually I said to him in the video. If you saw the video.
0: We are linking to the video on our show notes. (laughs)
2: Yeah. And and then we took him home. And because I really didn't have any kind of big plan. I just wanted to. You know, I just wanted to get him out of the store. <laughs> so once I'm, he was out of the store, we took him home, and we were like, okay, now what? And my boyfriend um, set up a saltwater tank for him immediately, and we took off his elastic bands and put him in the tank. And then we thought, do we keep him? Do we, do we have a pet lobster now? Do we make him like and, – and then we were trying to think of quality of life, like for a lobster, I mean, compared to the ocean – all we have him in is a small tank. This is the same as the grocery store, except we're not going to boil him alive eventually, right? But we thought, like, do we make him a huge tank, or? And it just seemed impractical, so we thought the best thing is to get him home. And so I started doing research to find out where he's from, and there were great odds that it was from Nova Scotia. And then I thought, how do you get how do you get him home to Nova Scotia? So I looked at the drive time, which was like 33 hours. And I thought, okay, that's not practical, not even for him. Like, I don't think that's a good idea for him to be in a car for 33 hours because it would be really hard to maintain his, I don't know, coldness. And then, of course, that's 33 hours back for us. And So I start calling, like, um, trains, and they don't take live passengers or live animals. I called a couple courier companies, and they said they don't handle live animals, but UPS does. So then I found my a UPS and uh, sure enough, they handle live animals. I told them what I was going to do and they're like, Oh, that's nice. And they, they said, we'll be totally ready for you. And they're actually really nice. They were really, they were really kind. Um, and they had and this don't box. do you love it? Yeah. They, they had this oh, I, box I'm sorry. I don't mean them. to. Sorry. Cause
0: when it's one animal, you know, these are people who probably went home and ate chicken, but I when know. they're actually reminded one being, they always think it's really nice.
2: It's like when those cows escape and everyone's rooting for them and then they they go to have a burger, you know, but some, some part of them is still on the the side of the animals, you know? And, uh, so yeah, these people, they thought it was really kind and, um, we, it was just before a long weekend that I finally got my plan together and everything was going to be closed over the long weekend. So we had to keep him for those numerous days. So I think we had him in total, took me about three or four days to come up with a plan and to find someone in Nova Scotia who could release him because the the Nova Scotia vegans were not quite keen on that idea either. Um, and then uh, I found this one woman, everything's great, but now the long weekend occurs. So I had him about seven or seven days, eight days. And then we did our big drive to the city and we packed him on um, a bunch of, uh, you know, those like ice blocks that you put in your freezer they're just like blue yeah. gel stuff we put those uh-huh. and then we put some newspaper on top and then we put him on top of that in the uh, in a box and uh put a seatbelt on around him so he wouldn't go flying <laughs> in case of an accident <laughs> and then uh drove to winnipeg got to the ups store and they we got there and they had this nice box ready and they'd punched holes in it and they put live lobster on it and just to make sure that he was, like, maybe treated carefully. Plus, we decided while we were there, like, maybe if we put the word pet or something across the top, then he'll get handled, like, extra carefully. So they were like, yeah, yeah, that's right, pet. <laughs> so they were Aww. pet on it. Yeah, they were really nice people at UPS. And um, and then he went on his his little trip, which was, I think, a whole day. It was, like, 24 hours. So technically, lobsters can live outside of... Uh, tank of water for quite a long time, because he did the six hours in the car and then twenty four hours in his cooler on his plane ride. Wow. hmm. And I figured, you it's know, a lot of people. How- a lot of people said like he's not going it- to survive. He's not going to live that long. Um, you know, he's just going to die. And I said, but he's already done this trip once. I mean, we're really far from an ocean in the first place, which means he already did this whole travel.
0: And so he, he made it to Nova mm-hmm. Scotia. Yep. Yeah.
2: And, and uh, so tell us who, tell us about the
0: woman on the receiving end.
2: The woman who who met him was just she showed me a video of of when she greeted him, and of course we were really oh. nervous waiting for him to be there. And when she showed us the video, and she greeted him so kindly and lovingly, it just I totally cried because I was just exactly what I wanted. I wanted him to. Be treated like uh, every, you know, the UPS store thought it was cute but odd, and everyone else thought it was odd or whatever. But she totally got it. She she welcomed him and and she told him that it's all going to be over soon. He's going to be free soon. It was very beautiful. I was very happy that I that she was the one who released him. And then she oh, drove around. Funny. She had to find a good spot to release him. She had a spot picked out. She actually had to drive like an hour to the UPS store because it was outside of her town. And pick Mm -hmm. him up. And she had the spot picked out, but when she got there, there were fishermen. And she was like, Uh oh, "Oh, better pick a different spot. So then she spent two hours driving around trying to find like a really nice spot. And she found like an area that just uh, kayaks launch from. So she took Mm -hmm. him there and uh, she put him on top of the water. And he just kind of, he didn't really do anything. He just sort of sat there. So she picked him up again and she sort of positioned him a little, like a little under the seaweed that was on top. And he just push swam away really fast. Oh. Yeah. I mean he went fast, dude. Well, he went he was just gone. It was awesome.
0: That is so beautiful. I remember the first video I ever saw of chickens who were released from a factory farm situation. And it wasn't immediate like that, but once they got it, oh yeah, we're chickens. And and we have this this it's heritage, it's in our DNA that we're supposed to pick and, you know, do all these things that chickens do even though we've never done it before and that all came back so beautiful.
2: I kind of have this funny thing where I keep thinking that he's telling the ob- other lobsters what happened to him, <laughs> him that he was abducted and, then, and that he was put into containers and on ice and all this stuff. <laughs> And he had things on his hands and people did weird stuff to him. And then they released him like an alien abduction.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure it, it did feel like that to him. Yeah, now, and none of his
2: friends believe him.
0: <laughs> yeah. You mentioned briefly that when, when you were first suggesting this, uh, people even in the vegan community were saying, no, no, don't do this because you're supporting the industry. Mm-hmm. And I imagine you get that quite a bit. So what's your answer to that?
2: Well, I mean, okay, one, I do what my heart tells me to do, and that's, that's just that. And then two, um, the industry is already evil. I'm not responsible for the industry. <laughs> I'm not responsible for how much they want to kill and destroy things, and, uh, you know, their actions are their own. You know, the fact that I purchase one and save one. And, and the other thing is, um, technically, this lobster cost me $20 to buy, And I think 400 in shipping or something. Mm -hmm. And he was on like all kinds of radio in the United States. He was in the news in China, Africa, Sweden. Um, That news went like, because I found blogs like everywhere about it. I found news stories in like all different kinds of countries and uh, Australia. And then of course he was in the Dodo, you know, the Dodo.
4: Oh, yes.
2: yes, Yeah. He was on the Dodo Veg did it and like it was everywhere so the amount of positive PR that came from it was definitely worth that $20 I paid for him
0: oh I, I think you that's know. absolutely true and, and you, you I never spent $20 know.
2: and I, I undermined the, the industry quite <laughs> greatly I think and perhaps changed quite a few people's minds so that definitely undid that
0: yeah I think you mm. did and, and it was amazing the amount of press that came from that why, why do you think this particular rescue, because animal rescues happen all the time, and they happen with a lot of animals that humans think are cuter than lobsters, and yet you and the lobster really made the media
2: cycle. Why do you think that is? I think it's two, two reasons. One is because uh, he's considered less attractive and therefore less worthy of life. And so the fact that I would go through effort for something not worthy of life is strange to people and surprises them. And then the other thing, too, is that unlike the other lobster rescues where they they live like a a block away from the ocean, so they they sort of take them out of the tank and then they return them a block away, I put a bunch of effort into it. And I think that also surprised people. She did a lot of effort for something that we don't think is pretty. Right. And I
0: think I wonder if one of the other aspects, too, is that most people – don't see slaughterhouses, we we don't see egg factories, we don't see the cow and the calf being separated, but we've all walked into the grocery store and seen those poor pitiful lobsters.
2: I did get a lot of messages on YouTube, and I don't think they were from vegans, just people who were really upset by looking at those tanks. So... Um, and they say they always wanted to rescue them. So maybe it is because lobsters are, I guess, the only slaughterhouse kind of a thing that's sort of in our face. I mean, that's the thing, mm-hmm. too, is I was standing in the deli section full of dead bodies, right? But there was this little live captivity jar full of, like, animals. It's the only thing that we, we still do that's a public. That is actually a slaughterhouse with glass walls. It's a tank.
0: That's true. That That's mm-hmm. very true. Wow. So are you a big-time animal rescuer, do you do this a lot, or was this the first?
2: Um, no, we just, well, we rescue, I mean, we're not the most pleasant to go on a car ride with because we stop for a lot of things. <laughs> so, you know, if there's a snake on the road, oh, quick, stop the car, and then we help them off the road. And if there's a turtle or, um, we did rescue, one of my videos I have, which I was quite nice, it took us like a month to rescue, but, I mean, like a month during the rescue, But we um, got a fox who was really, really sick. He had horrible mange. And we went home to grab some gear to catch him. I actually had some mange medicine in my house just in case we came across mange foxes. Um, And uh, so we went home and grabbed some gloves and a cage and everything to catch him. By the time we got back, he had a culvert around his neck. And we were like, well, how did you do that? And he was so sick looking. And now he had this culvert on his neck. And we're like, oh, my goodness. So we finally cornered him and trapped him and got him home and then we had to medicate him and feed him and and it took about a month for him to heal and then we released him so we had him for about a month and then i guess the only other um and then we we had a skunk we didn't have a skunk in our house but we saw a skunk with a tim hortons cup on his head he'd gotten stuck trying to lick one of those cups or something like that. And yeah. so he took that off his head. But yeah, we'll, we'll help wherever needed. I hope I don't find a bear that needs help because I'm sure I'd help. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. I
0: wish everybody had, had that fault.
2: <laughs> I also have a, I have a dog rescue thing too, where I, I guess it's a, it's a, I feel like, like we, we rescue a lot of dogs and it's kind of annoying to our community because they, they let the dogs loose a lot (laughs) Uh and they know the dogs are loose. They didn't really care that their dogs were loose. So I would bring them back all the time and, you know, to the same house, to the same house or to another house or, you know, we rescue the dogs. Like, I guess a few times a week we rescue some sort of dog and return it to its owner. And Uh uh, I feel like if you do nothing, then anything that happens to that animal is your responsibility. So if I if I ignore that dog that's loose and he gets hit by a car, then that was on me.
0: I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Now, Christine, you say in your notes here that you went vegetarian at the age of ten. So yes. did you have an unusual family? Did did they plant some of these ideas or did you just come up with this on your own?
2: Um, I came up with it on my own cause I was, I mean, I, I think I've always been sensitive. I was either raised sensitive or I've just always been sensitive. I'm not sure which one, but I was sitting on a curb one day when I was about 10 and there was a caterpillar and I was going to squish him and I stopped myself and I was just, I was thinking, why, why am I going to squish him? And I thought, well, cause he's, I think he's less attractive. And then I thought, well, that deserves death. Right. And i Why do I have the right to take his life just because he's not... And I started doing this whole thing like, you know, baby chicks, nobody wants to kill them. Of course, you know, we do by the millions for the egg industry. But, you know, most people don't think that. They think cute little baby chick, we shouldn't hurt that. Or kitten. And and then it grows into like a cat and we abandon cats and we kill the chickens. And as they become less attractive, they become more worthy of death for unknown reasons. And so I just thought, I'm I'm not going to kill anything I, I wish unfortunately this was in like the 80s early 80s i wish i had known about the the dairy and egg industry
0: well we know about what we know about at the time that we find out which That's is true. why i think it's so important that that when we know these things whatever it is that we know we don't keep it to ourselves
2: <laughs> so I, go, that- I i regularly online i put po- i post that uh you know dairy is a scary video. Uh, ah, yes. Janice. Yes. I post that and I post, like, a ton of other um, dairy-related videos because I think everyone knows, everyone who, who doesn't want to hurt animals um, has the opportunity to, like, they consciously know that killing it for food, um, your steak or your chicken, if they make, you know, if they care at all, they'll they'll make that connection. But there's a ton of people who have no clue about that. The dairy and egg thing is very well hidden. And uh, so those are my sort of main enemies that I'm always after.
0: That's great. I post so a lot. You- how did you hear about veganism relatively recently and and what brought you over?
2: Um, well, okay, yeah, I had heard of it and I thought it was extreme. <laughs> I think um, we all do the first time we hear. Yeah. I'm like, really? What? Why? And I was a huge, I was a huge milk addict too. I was like totally addicted to the stuff. So I thought that's crazy. I'm not giving up milk. And I didn't see the purpose because there you're just milking a cow and he's in the field and like, Or she's in the field and you should milk her and, you know, didn't see the whole picture. But I decided to watch, um, I kept seeing these certain videos come up and I decided to watch, um, I kept hearing about like Forks Over Knives and I did a bit of Googling of like animal rights videos and the main three I came across on a regular basis was Forks Over Knives, Cowspiracy and Earthlings. So we kind of watched them in that order and Forks Over Knives was hugely enlightening about um, your health And animal products, and then conspiracy was was shocking about the environment, and then when we got to Earthlings, it was like about the halfway mark, I think, when they introduced dairy, and I went, okay, I'm done. (laughs) I'm vegan. (laughs) As soon as I found out, as soon as I found out about dairy, and then I was just pissed. I was just mad. I was very mad that you know, because that's that's not what people tell children. That's not what the packages show. Nobody says that I took milk from a baby cow who had to be killed so I could have his drink. You know, nobody tells me that.
0: No, they sure don't. No. And how fascinating that that information is less likely to get out there in a huge media way than you're saving the lobster because it's yeah. a little bit less threatening to to big interests. You know, I guess, yeah. One fascinating. I, fascinating.
2: It is, yeah. I'd love for people. I would love for for people just just to know the whole dairy and egg thing. You know, just if you don't change, okay, whatever. That's weird, but you know, just know, just know what's going on there. I,
0: I think there's a lot of good work being done um, by some of these humane educators. Uh, we had mm-hmm. someone on the show um, a while back. I'm blanking on the name of the organization, but it was maybe two months ago, and they go into high schools. Right now they're just in the United States, but I think they're they're looking to expand. It's called the Ethical Choices Program. That's what it's nice. called. Uh, and interestingly enough, teachers, uh, health teachers, uh, social studies teachers, environmental science teachers, are actually open-minded enough to let these humane educators from the Ethical Choices Program come into their schools and and talk about this. And they've they've plotted it very interestingly. They don't go into the little kids in the lower grades because then you get a lot of parents saying, you know, my child doesn't want to drink her milk. (laughs) But by the time kids are teenagers, they're making their own decisions anyway. Mm -hmm. And it just seems like... If we can get people fairly young, it's a good thing.
2: Yeah, I keep having the urge to, like, my town, I I couldn't really get it. I can't actually do any activism in my town. I'd love to. Like, I keep wanting to put those stickers all over things that show, you know, on the dairy packet, on the dairy, on the milk or the eggs or whatever. And uh, I can't do anything because everybody would know it was me.
0: <laughs> so. Well, that, that is one of, of the downsides of living in a small community. I did want to ask, do they know you in the grocery store? I mean, when you walk in, do they point and say, that's the lobster lady?
2: Um, Only one person asked, and it was like a bank teller. and she. She asked about it, and I've told a couple of people, and they were like, oh, that was you. And, um, yeah, there's some people just go, hmm. (laughs) And then there's some other people who go, that's nice, that was nice. And, um, yeah, so it's kind of not – I think they were talking about it more amongst themselves than they were with me, though. Um, There was, I guess, some postings in the local community about how crazy that was or whatever. But it's also on our Wikipedia page for our town now, so that's nice. Oh, really? Oh, that's <laughs> exciting.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Now, speaking of pages and places to go online, you do have a, a pretty fabulous YouTube channel. It's called oh, Canadian you. Girl. Now, is everything there animal-related?
2: It is. Um uh, well, pretty much. No, I guess a little Canadian related too. A little like uh,
5: okay.
2: Canadian extreme weather. I mean, oh. when we got to this town, we could. It was the first time we had driven on on the lake uh, during winter when it uh, freezes over. So that was kind of exciting for us. So we put stuff like that on there too.
0: But most of it, I guess, that's all. That's animal that's right. related too. If we're looking at global warming and some of these things that are all all connected, mm-hmm. so. And and then also, if you want to uh, connect with Christine on Facebook, she's Christine. And how do you pronounce your surname? I probably said it terribly before.
2: Uh, Lougheed.
0: Lougheed. Oh, that's beautiful. (laughs) And it's spelled L-O-U-G-H-E-A-D. And this will all be on the show notes. You know, when I think about you and the lobster, did you give him a name at all during all this process?
2: Yeah, I called him, like, it was um, Lobby Joe, <laughs> Aww, which is like Bobby Joe, me. only lobster version, Lobby Joe. Love it, love it. <laughs> I actually did, and you know what, so- I'm gonna, I'll send you a picture, too, because this woman in the UK um, sent me a, she made me a painting that she did of it, and uh, of, like, the, the release moment, she made a painting, Aww. and uh, I'll send that to you on your page. Thank you, you so much. it was much. really beautiful. That, yeah. I'll, I'll bet it is. That it was sounds, weird sounds things cool. like just from a, from a woman in the UK sending me a picture to There's a couple in Canada who sent me a, a Tim Hortons gift card. You oh, know, just, sweet. Yeah, it was cute, yeah. It really touched it, a lot of people.
0: It, it did. And that, to me, is so positive because that shows us that people really do care. The, the power some- of economics are strong. The power of, of
2: addiction is strong. But the power of the heart is stronger. I did get some nice messages from uh, Chinese people, too, and um, Sweden and all kinds of, you know. So yeah. I have some new friends, yeah. The lobster who touched
0: the world. So, mm-hmm. Christine, bless your heart. Thank you so very much. What you did reminds me of my favorite quotation in all the world. It comes from the Jane Saint Mahavira, to every creature... His own life is very dear. Exactly. You, you reminded us all of that. Thank you so much. Listeners, next week is going to be so much fun. We will have on Jason Robel with his new book, Eternity. He was going to be on a while back, but he got his time zones confused, so he will be on next week talking about fabulous food and what it's like to have a Big old vegan cooking TV show. And we're going to start the show with the most enchanting little girl. Her name is Genesis Butler. She's nine years old. She turned herself vegetarian. Then she turned herself vegan. And now she is an activist. She speaks all over. I think just maybe the future is secure. (laughs) Thanks to Christine Lauheed. Thanks to Emma and Kristen LeTessier of Barefoot Vegan. Thanks to Jeff Comfort, our engineer out there at Unity Online Radio. And thanks to all of you for listening. God bless you. Eat your veggies.
1: If I were brave, I'd walk the razor's edge Where fools and
2: dreamers dare to tread And never lose weight
3: How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests will share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
2: What we secretly dream.
1: Peace in the presence of conflict. Love in the presence of hatred. Forgiveness in the presence of injury. These words are easy to say. It's challenging, though, to live them in everyday life. After all, I can make my words and actions peaceful, but I have no control over the words and actions of others. That's true. But think about it. If you, then I, then others, one by one, responded in love in every situation, the effect would be like the wave you see spread across a sports stadium. It would go on and on, gaining momentum as it moved through the people around us. I can let peace begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org.